0: the
1: fact that people are hiding snacks in the bathroom just to have some sense of peace is like really right Right?
2: (laughs) if that's not a teaser i don't
1: know what is exactly i know
2: i'm mitch and i'm missy we're co-workers he's the boss and we're married
1: and she's the boss together we host good faith weekly a podcast on faith and culture
2: what could possibly go wrong?
1: Tune in and find out. Oh, f- Missy. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, Missy and I are going to catch up. She's going to tell you a little bit about uh, the latest on her mom. And then later on in the pod, we are going to sit down with Brett Harris, who is the host of the God Knows Where podcast. It's a great conversation. And then afterwards, Missy and I are going to talk about the importance of asking complex questions in regard to your faith. It's a really good episode, so stay tuned. Happy Earth Day week, Missy.
2: I'm feeling attacked. (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) Are you trying to come at me for that? Styrofoam cup, I've been using. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: not just the one styrofoam cup, it's the 27. I know, I know. know.
2: <laughs> That'll be enough of that from
1: you. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it is Earth Day week. Uh, it was Earth Day this last Thursday, and uh, we ran a series at goodfaithmedia.org from a lot of different authors talking about creation care and climate change. It's a really great series, so I uh, want to Invite our listeners to go read these incredible articles about the importance of taking care of this earth, because we've only got one of them.
2: It's so important. <laughs> and I totally do not have a styrofoam <laughs> cup beside me right now, right?
1: <laughs> you do not. You do not. So, We had a little excitement uh, this week. Uh, had another storm move through central Oklahoma.
2: Another spring week, another um, evening of bouncing back and forth between the tornado closet and the living room. So that's big excitement, big fun. Not so fun. I'm tired of it.
1: Yeah, I am too. Uh, Well, it is uh, good to have you back in the studio. I know uh, after last week, uh, it's been a tough week this week for you and for your family and for all of us. And I know the listeners are wanting to know more about uh, your mom and uh, what's going on there.
2: Yeah, so I am back home. I shared with the listeners last week that I was in Dallas with my mom who was on hospice and she passed away this week on Monday. Um and I, it, I'm so thankful that I was able to have those last, you know, few weeks with her, you know, almost constantly, you know, save for a few couple of times here and there I had to come home. Um, but during that time, you know, as much as she was sick with dementia and we didn't want her to be in that state or suffering anymore, I kept thinking about a story from several years ago in which we had some friends who lost their adult young adult daughter to cancer. And, um, I don't know if you remember the story or not. Um, she, the, the young woman who had cancer had a four-year-old daughter. And when she was in her final days, um, the family gathered around and talked to the four-year-old and they were all in her hospital room and, and explained to her what was going to happen. And, you know, that that her mom was going to pass and and be in heaven with Jesus and not be sick anymore, but that her mom would always be watching over her Mm. and all of these things. And the little girl just said, but I want to touch her. Mm. So I kept thinking of that moment for those, you know, two or three weeks I was there and just tried to touch my mom. Mm -hmm. Knowing that we were ready for her suffering to end, but I wasn't ready for that to end. Yeah. So.
1: You know, it's interesting that you say that because the power of touch is just an incredible visceral response and a deep connection for people. And I can remember when Okima, my uh, grandmother, uh, was dying and she was in the hospital. Uh, and I remember just sitting there by her bedside and holding her hand and I can still feel her touch. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so powerful. And it's something that I've been able to keep with me, even though I would love to physically you know, reach out and grab her hand again.
2: It was just so interesting how that story just replayed in my mind and, um, you know, we are taught so often by little children. And it's, I'm thankful for that story because I don't, I'm not sure if I hadn't heard that, that that would have been such an intentional thing that I would have noticed. But I just remember thinking as she was um, becoming less and less um, responsive that at least I can touch her, at least yeah. I can hold her hand, at least I can rub her arm. Um, and I just wanted to save her those moments, um, because I knew they were fleeting and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful she's no longer sick and in pain. And I know she's here with me in a very different way now, which is kind of fun, but also I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous about, um, because
1: (laughs) why would that be Missy?
2: (laughs) My mother was such a practical joker. <laughs> Indeed, she
1: was. That's one of the things I loved about her.
2: And you and I both know. That, I mean, stuff's about to start happening around here. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure. But um, I'm a little worried because I know it'll all be in good fun. But <laughs> we just have to be ready for it. Oh, sure. So yeah. She's a, a big practical joker. And so um, I thought I would share one of my favorite practical jokes. Oh, this jokes is a good one. Because, you know, it's my podcast and I can just tell the story if I want to so (laughs) um so it was my 18th birthday and I first of all woke up and went to leave for school to find that my mother my father my uncle my aunt they had all just shoe polished my car completely with all sorts of like funny things that you know and and so I thought, oh, okay, that's cute. That's fun. You know, that's a high school thing. People shoe polish your car. Ha yeah. You know, whatever.
1: I mean, but when you say, you know, they just rode all over. I mean, had 18 on it, obviously, but it also had a pig face and snout and had all kinds of stuff. Well, on you it, have right? to
2: kind of like explain that. I collected pigs. Well, sure. Yeah. Okay. So it started out when I was a little girl. I was a big Miss Piggy fan, collected yeah. Miss Piggy. In fact, my mother, who was an artist, I found a picture last night. She painted a portrait of Miss Piggy for me for one of my birthdays. I'm not getting like a twelve awesome. by sixteen like portrait you'd hang on your wall, of Miss Piggy.
1: We will be putting that over the mantle. Now. That's right. We talked
2: about it Halloween how she handmade me that Miss Piggy yeah. costume. I think we posted a picture of it. Right. Anyway, so my my fandom of Miss Piggy eventually, when I was in high school, turned into I collected pigs. Sure. Anyways, that's a side note. So yes, everything was little piggy themed mm. on my car. Um, so I I went to school that day, and I came out to the parking lot that afternoon and I wait I feel like at this point I have to ask you a question okay. Have you ever slathered a baby's butt in a diaper rash ointment?
1: Well I'm quite certain I slathered our two boys at okay. one time.
2: <laughs> I know this doesn't seem relevant to the to this story but it totally is okay in particular, have you ever slathered a baby's butt with desitin diaper that ointment? That right? I
1: have not. I think a butt paste is about as close yes, as I got. Yes, we
2: use that. but <laughs> well, well, it's similar, yes. Yeah, it's basically yeah. the same thing. It's the zinc oxide. Mm-hmm. How might one get that off of their hands?
1: Oh, scrub, scrub, scrub. Right. Uh, yeah.
2: It's not just like a tissue right. wipe-off kind of situation, yeah. right? No, no. no. It's a soap-water, you know, scrub yeah, yeah. situation. Okay, back to my story. So I come out to my car Um, And I see that there are now, again, shoe polish still all over Mm -hmm. the car, but there's now balloons, like, tied (laughs) to every part of the car you can tie (laughs) balloons to. So I'm like, oh, ha, 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 that's cute, funny. My friend is with me. And I go to open the car door. And my car at the time had the kind of handles where you put your your you know hand your fingers up under and kind of yeah, pull lift up handle like a latch yeah I don't know how to explain that anyways so I stuck my hand up under the car you know mm-hmm. door handle. Only to find that an entire tube of desitin (laughs) had been squirted up there. (laughs) So I put my, like, not not like a little bit on the tip of your finger to put on some diaper rash. No. You went in deep. (laughs) Under my fingernails, the whole, you know, half of my my hand was covered in this Uh diaper rash ointment. And I had no, you know, I didn't have... Diaper, you know, baby wipes to get off, nothing. So I just stood there. I was like, what in the world am I going to do? So I got the car door open and only to find that my mother had stuffed my car with crumpled up newspapers. And I mean, not just a few, like the entire car was full of crumpled up newspapers. So <laughs> what do i do and i was definitely the type of high school kid i didn't want to be embarrassed you know mm-hmm. i was i was mortified because now i was gonna have to figure out what do i do number one mm-hmm. with my hand that's covered in diaper rash ointment you
1: had a lot of paper in the car you could have wiped it off
2: <laughs> <laughs> shut up <laughs> and then what do i do with all this newspaper mm. <laughs>
1: like, what did you do with the balloons?
2: I don't remember, honestly. I don't remember. It was about this time that my mom kind of appeared because, of course, she was taking pictures well, of this of whole course. thing, you know, from behind somebody else's truck and cackling. She had a very signature, like...
1: She had such the cackle.
2: Evil cackle whenever she, she pulled off a joke on somebody, but...
1: Every now and again, it comes out of you.
2: Oh, it does. I'm so proud of that. I did inherit it. So anyways, that was that was one of her, her jokes that she played, but... That's awesome. um, it it was just it was fun. You never knew quite what she was gonna do. She taught me how to short sheet a bed, um, how to put Saran over a toilet seat. Um, I mean, just the list goes on and on. She she loved a good practical joke. So, like I said, I'm I'm a little bit nervous about what's to come around here. If um, <laughs> if there's a God in heaven, um, she will talk him into letting her. Pull a f- prank or two. Well, I
1: have no doubt that that's going to happen. Yeah, so
2: anyways. <laughs> uh, but I'm, well, I'm, not, only was,
1: not only was she a practical joker, she was a deep person of faith. And one of the things I remember the most about her when I started uh, hanging around you was her incredible voice. Uh, mm-hmm. She would sit down at the piano because your grandfather was an incredible pianist and organist. And so she would play a little bit of the piano, but she would sing these hymns and she had this incredible soprano voice and she would just sing and fill the the house full of uh, hymns and music and i know her faith really influenced you you talked about you know growing up as a little girl and just what that meant to go to church with your family so, yeah. and
2: all my mom i mean she was always humming hymns and i find myself doing that and i know it's super annoying to anyone who may be around um, but it always brings me comfort. Now, don't get me wrong; my mother also loved to dance and loved good <laughs> dance music as well. She did. Yeah, she really. There did. is.
1: She had one move locked down. She's amazing <laughs> on a dance floor. I'm not gonna lie.
2: Um, but yes, yeah, she did have. Um, I was telling you earlier. I I'd forgotten all about. But it's it's amazing when somebody passes, how the memories start flooding back. But mm-hmm. every Sunday morning, as a kid, every Sunday morning, we awoke to her walking in our room. And singing, happy Sunday morning, happy (laughs) Sunday morning. We read our Bibles, sing and pray. (laughs) It's happy. Happy Sunday morning. Oh, dear Lord. And what our listeners can't see are the hand <laughs> motions that go along with the song. And also my mother every week standing there in her pantyhose and her sweater <laughs> <laughs> while she <laughs> sang the song. It, it was
1: think, the 70s. Is there
2: anything more quintessentially, yes, 70s and 80s, than a mom on a Sunday morning in her pantyhose? No, there is not. And probably hot rollers in her hair. Oh, but she would fantastic. sing the song. We would get furious because there was not such a thing as a happy Sunday morning <laughs> when you have to get up and go to church that early. <laughs> oh my
1: gosh. That is fantastic. But yeah. So yeah. we're
2: just going through I know so many people go through this, um, the loss of a family member, that time where you're just sifting through photos and memories and all the things and hearing what, you know, your loved one meant to other people. And it's been it's been so nice to to hear yeah. those things and to relive those memories. And also because because my mom did have dementia, you know, that like they say it's a very long goodbye. So for the last 10 or 12 years we've watched my mom slip further and further away and it's that's one of the things that has been nice now is it's kind of the the memories that are flooding back or people are talking about from from better days when she was well and when she was more herself her um you know fun loving and practical joking yeah. <laughs> itself. So <laughs> it's been nice, but thank you for all your prayers. Thank you for all that have messaged and reached out. Um, we are, we are doing well. We look forward to having memorial service for her, um, in, uh, June and you know, life goes on. She's, she's not suffering anymore.
1: Yeah. She will be missed. She was an incredible lady and uh, she has done a fabulous job raising her kids, especially you.
2: she has (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: well stay tuned Missy and I sat down with Brett Harris he is the host of God Knows Where podcast
0: have the last few years shifted your faith I'm Brett Harris and last year I walked away from the pulpit without a plan I just knew where I was wasn't where I was supposed to be And I'd love for you to join me as I wander and wonder about faith and scripture and how we can continue to follow Jesus' example, even when our path forward is unclear. Find God Knows Where today in your favorite podcast app.
1: Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special guest with us. After 16 years spent in fundraising and advancement in higher education, the nonprofit sector and religious institutions, Brett Harris redirected his skills in written and interpersonal communication and community engagement to create God Knows Where, a podcast for those exploring their faith off the beaten path. With 10-15 to 15 minute episodes released weekly, God Knows Where is a different kind of Bible study that is shorter than most sermons, thank God. The yeah. podcast dives deeply and asks big questions. It's perfect for those who have quit institutional religion and want to know more about it. Brett,
0: welcome to Good Faith Weekly. Thank you, Mitch and Missy. It's good to be with y'all.
2: Hi, Brett. So I'm very fascinated by your story. You are a recovering Baptist pastor who willingly walked away from the pulpit. And while that may not be that unusual in this day and age, your motivations, I think, were pretty unique. I was wondering if you would tell us a bit about your story. What led to your decision to walk away?
0: Sure. So my decision to walk away um, starts even before I started to walk into it. I think if I identify with any character in the scriptures, it's probably Jonah. And I think I ran away from a calling for a really long time. I went to seminary almost right out of college um, and spent a bunch of time not in the pulpit, not in the local church, doing other work and actually trying to stay as far away from that as possible. Um, but kept getting drawn back into it through various uh, pulpit open supply opportunities that I had in different churches here in Mississippi. Um, and so ultimately stopped running away, uh, got spit out of the belly of the the fish (laughs) and, uh, ended up in the local church. And, uh, so it was great. It's everything I'd thought I was supposed to be doing with my life. Um, but in the midst of my time there at the church, I COVID hit and, um, it, for all the things that COVID did that disrupted and destroyed and were awful, uh, it was really good for my mental health um, in some strange ways. I don't know how else to explain it, Um, but I really got to see, um, I got to spend more time with my kids. I got to spend more time at home. I got to do a lot of things and be in one place I'd spent the better part of a decade on the road, driving around for work, and and being split between places, and not really having a home, uh, just sort of being wherever I was supposed to be at that time, and that so those those that time that I got to be there and and be home really changed things for me. I don't know that it changed my faith, but it changed my perspective on things, and I think for me, I saw that where I was going and what I was doing wasn't where I needed to be. Uh, wasn't where I was being called to be any longer. Uh, I think COVID opened up for me a lot more about um, the being of our faith and what we're called to be as opposed to what we're called to do. Uh, and so I, I knew that it wasn't where I was supposed to be. And so I walked away and decided, you know, we'll figure this out. Um, but it's going to be better for me and my family and for everyone around me, even for the church. If I'm... Uh, in a different place.
2: You mentioned that you walked away from leading the institution, but that you can't walk away from Jesus and that who and what we're following have nothing to do with Jesus, which I thought was a really interesting way to put that it, we're just walking away from the institution, but yet you can't walk away from, like you said, your faith. I thought that was really interesting and important um, kind of point to make.
0: Yeah, I think there's, for me, there's so much that we've built up around these teachings that we have uh, and the the scriptures that we have, the tradition that we have. There's so many. There's so much that we've built up around it, you know, that, that clouds our view of those stories, of their importance in our lives, of what they teach us and how they can help us shape our lives and our communities in ways that just distract us, um, that just distract us from that message. Uh, we all know the jokes about hassling over church carpet and the carpet <laughs> in the sanctuary or anything like that. It's all those all those conversations, uh, all the meetings that organizations require. And I'm not saying that they don't require them. I'm just saying that to me, uh, they, they're a distraction. And I think that the message, if we can get back to that message, even if that means walking away from the institutional nature of things, whether individually or collectively, I think what's more important to me, what I've found more true in my life, is harnessing the the wisdom that we get from Jesus and harnessing the way that he lived his life, the way he teaches us to live our lives, and um, and just what that can do, and how much different and better things can be if we pay attention to that and not the things that for 2,000 years we've built up all around it.
1: That's such an interesting point, Brett, because, I mean, you start thinking about especially the Christian faith and the Christian tradition that over, you know, the 2,000 years since Jesus was here on earth, how— even in his life, he lived outside the institutional faith community. I mean, he was born uh, a mamzer He was very con- it was very controversial. Uh, he grew up as an outsider, someone on the margins, uh, and then you know his ministry wasn't necessarily anti-institutional, but it existed outside the institution. Uh, he went to synagogue, mm-hmm. he went to temple, but everything else he did was outside that institution, how important is it for the institutional church to refocus its effort? It seems like every time we get to a a critical point in the church, we always turn inward, and that we really need to be focusing on what's going on outside of the church instead of inside of the church, and not—this And sounds like a topic on your podcast— not for the purpose of winning souls, <laughs> but for the purpose right. of connecting with other human beings as Jesus taught us to.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think so much of our faith, so much of what we learn and glean from what we read and and the wisdom of other people who whose work isn't in our canon uh, is all about the community. It's all about how, this applies to the way i live my life day to day not just one day a week but how how we interact with each other how um, we go about our lives the decisions we make the ways that we vote the ways that we lead our businesses whatever it is it's so much of it is about is about that i mean i think part of it too is that i my own personal theology uh, is shaped heavily by will campbell and others in his milieu you know that that sort of started out in the steeples in the, as he would call them started out in the churches but did see that what may what mattered was if what we learned inside the institution had any bearing on how we live our lives outside and i certainly am not perfect i certainly fall short of that all the time but i do think that um it is there is this need to 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 apply it.
1: So let's talk about the podcast. God knows where it is fabulous. Been listening to it for quite some time now. You do a fabulous job. Uh, love the fact that it's about fifteen minutes—a great quick listen, but very filled with incredible content. So let's talk a little bit about the podcast purpose you mentioned it's for people interested in exploring their faith off the beaten path. And after you have shared your story of being off the beaten path, I, you know, we get it now. So explain that a little bit to us about uh, what people can expect when they listen to the pod.
0: So I hope that when people come to it, uh, you come with an open mind. Um, I came to doing this thinking that these would be, somewhat sermon-like but not exactly sermons because a lot of these are things that I thoughts that I've had or questions that I've wrestled with over the years but never felt like could say from within a pulpit within the pulpit at the church they don't feel like topics uh, maybe they're topics that should be able to be discussed within the context of a local congregation but they never I never found a to do that and so for me, it's all it's all the questions that I've had, these these things that I've struggled with, um, and also trying to just talk about them in a way that that feels relatable, but also uh, does feel a little bit different. You don't, might not expect to hear this from a Baptist preacher. You might not expect to hear this in the pulpit, but it does tie to our tradition. And from what I've heard from folks who are listening to the show, it's answering or addressing at least questions and thoughts that they've had for years too, but haven't been hearing talked about either from the pulpits that they uh, sit in front of or sit in the sanctuaries they sit in or um, wherever they are learning about their faith. So it is, it's just trying to tackle those questions that maybe we're afraid to ask. Maybe we've never known where to go for the answers, um, but to have that conversation.
1: I want to talk about that point specifically because, you know, off the beaten path, we talked about, you know, Jesus' ministry in life, that, you know, most of his ministry happened off the beaten path, traveling around, uh, you know, Palestine back then. You mentioned uh, in one of your pods that a lot of what the church is based upon these days is based upon things that Jesus never said. And what's happening today is. People are getting offended by what Jesus actually told us to do. Can you unpack that a little bit more right. for us? Because that was outstanding. You
2: mean he didn't actually have an AR fifteen sure. with him?
1: <laughs> he did not. Oh, okay. He did not, got it. And he got didn't it. he didn't wear a MAGA hat either. Oh, it's, okay.
2: it's really <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I haven't got that cleared
0: up. Right. I mean, that was the that was the whole genesis for the podcast, in in fact, that idea um, that Jesus didn't say so many of these things Um, that was the first conversation that my wife and i were having with her cousin that sort of gave birth to this whole idea i mean i do i think so much of what we do and say in the is 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 built around these ideas that have calcified over the years right maybe they started with a nugget of wisdom a long time ago but they've borne out into the all the institutional structure and baggage that we have. And, um, there's just, when we look to the record, just like you said, Mitch, when we look to the record, the things that we struggle with the most, or I can only speak for me, the things I struggle with the most from time to time are, or the things that Jesus said and what that calls me to do mm-hmm. or the, how it calls me to account. Right. That, uh, and sometimes we don't like to hear those. I had a good friend who reminded me, many years ago, that when you're preaching, uh, you want to make sure that, one, you're true to the, to the text, true to the scriptures, true to the community that you're speaking to. But also, let's make sure that what we're saying, what we're doing is aligned to Jesus. And if people get mad at us for saying it, then they need to be mad at Jesus for having said it, not that we came up with this own idea that we are now have moved from preaching into meddling if you will, right? right, But Jesus, there's just so, go ahead. I was going to say,
1: like in one of your episodes, which was fantastic about the Bible and about, you know, what, what Bible did Jesus use? And is the Mm -hmm. Bible the last word? uh, you, You mentioned the fact that, you know, Jesus often said, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, is that, you know, does did Jesus really think that the Bible was the last word? And I know that's heresy, especially in some of the circles we run in, but uh, that's just yeah. it's fascinating because what did Jesus really think about the the scriptures that were authoritative for for him during those times? I just, you know, I think these questions are wonderful to
0: explore. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, as the the canon all the canon's still being created and still being written down and, and and formulated and figured out and some of it wasn't even written while he was alive and so we do have to think about that think about what he was interacting with and how he was interacting with it and ultimately for me it's looking at and i mentioned this in one episode too martin kopenaver's book about the questions that jesus acts and how he asked so many more questions than he answered Um, and the, there's the importance there is to that questioning that, that it's not a problem to ask questions of our faith. It's not a problem even to leave some things open-ended to still figure out. It doesn't all have to be neatly tied and fit into a box. And sometimes it's better when it doesn't. Yeah, absolutely.
2: So I love the illustration you just gave a moment ago about the calcification of our tenets or beliefs. And, and so One of the questions I want to ask, or one of the things I want to talk about, um, is kind of a profound statement you make in the first episode that I felt like sets the tone to open the listeners up to looking at their faith in a new way. And you state in reference to accepting Jesus as our personal Savior, which for us in this room... That is the bedrock of uh, of our faith and of our you know kind of church. Well, speak life. for yourself. Well, it is. I mean, you, have you made a personal decision? If not, we can stop and pray that prayer right now.
1: I'm still thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> Don't need to walk down the Roman road.
2: <laughs> I'll create an aisle real quick. Um, you have a track. But you say <laughs> we digress. You state that Jesus never sought acceptance, ours or anyone else's. And I immediately imagined, just like you were saying a moment ago, when you say those things from the pulpit, if you were, I immediately went to a scene in my head of the deacons frantically trying to to, to schedule that meeting to, to deal with what, <laughs> that statement that he never sought acceptance, ours or anyone else's. So I want you to unpack that. Maybe give folks who just had the rug pulled out from under them a minute to collect themselves <laughs> and, then, and then speak to that.
0: Sure. I... I stand by what I said. Um, I think that when we look at what we're told about Jesus life, right? None of us were there. None of us were walking around with him. There was no stenographer taking notes as he preached and talked and walked with folks. But the record that we get, I don't ever see him being concerned with whether or not the people he was talking to would accept what he had to say or would or even concerned with whether or not they would accept that he was who he was i think that he probably certainly wanted people to accept that but i don't know that that was a primary concern of 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 his it doesn't seem that way to me at least in the way that i read the scriptures and so i think it's uh, i think he was so clear about who he was and what his mission and his goal was in his life. It was so clear to him that regardless of whether or not anyone accepted that, this is what he was going to do. And I think that paints a picture for us, too, that however God speaks to us and however clearly God makes it to us for what our our. Purpose on this planet is, and how we are supposed to use the gifts and the talents and the brains and the bodies that we have. Um, we need to be as clear about that as Jesus was in order to fulfill whatever mission we have, whatever purpose we have. We need to have that clarity of it to where it won't matter if people accept us, but the fruit will come or we'll be able to tell. If it's accurate, if if it's right, if we're reading into all this correctly and listening to God clearly, if people do start being interested in it and following and paying attention, and if it does start shaping the way people's lives in the way that Jesus did, I don't think we can argue with the way that the fact that how many people were impacted by his teachings and his way of life and the ways that he spoke truth to power and and the lack of concern he had for whether or not people were going to accept him or welcome in or if it was socially acceptable to say the things that he said and to share the opinions that he did, I, or, or beliefs that he had and the truth that he shared. I think it's, uh, we need that kind of confidence and that kind of clarity and finding that and finding that in Jesus and seeing that that's how that guided his life. Um, and following him, as he tells us to do more often than he tells us to believe in him, uh, that that makes a big difference. That will make the difference. And that's more, to me, it seems that's more important to Jesus that we follow than that we accept any certain particular belief or pray any specific prayer or whatever it may be. The, the proof should be in the pudding, right? The way we live our lives, the way we treat one another, the way we do all the things he does tell us to do should be all that we need to uh, prove to anyone or to show anyone who it is that we follow, what it is that we believe and how it is that we choose to live that out.
2: I love the way that you reframed it in that episode and it just set set such a great tone for, okay, let's just stop a minute. And I love just your tone is so patient and so kind and understanding <laughs> with the audience of, of walking us through some of those things. So I appreciated that, and um, thank you for kind of changing the way I thought about it.
1: Yeah, I want to sure. talk a little bit about some of the topics that you discuss on the podcast, but more, I guess, more pointed. Some of the important questions that you ask on the podcast. I mean, you do tackle some really, you know, deep complex issues, such as finding sacred space outside the bathroom. <laughs> that whole episode was fantastic, by <laughs> the way. The fact that people are hiding snacks in the bathroom just to have some sense of peace, is just like, really? Right, right.
2: <laughs> if that's not a teaser, I don't
1: know what is. Exactly. I know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, like the question we talked about a while ago, you know, is the Bible the final word? Another episode you talk about um, the ever-changing God, which, I mean, that goes against what you know, orthodoxy teaches us that, you know, God's never right. I mean, He's never changed. Uh and I just added myself when I said he too. Uh so you know, <laughs> I mean there's there's so many very interesting questions that you ask that are the formation of each of these episodes. So I want to ask you this, because I get asked this all the time, Brett. Hmm? These questions a lot of people are scared of them because they're worried that it's going to somehow disrupt their faith or that they're going to lose their faith by asking these questions. I don't know about you, but everything that I've discovered in asking these questions has been just the opposite.
0: (laughs) So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So there's kind of two ways that I can talk about that one is from an example that I did also share in the podcast but the, the first one that I'll share is from a, a book that my mom gave me several years ago that she had had since she was in the Baptist Student Union at Kansas State uh many moons ago and it was a a book called your God is too small JB Phillips wrote your God is too small and it's just, it's a short little book but it's all these kinds of little, snippets of of conversations about how we as humans like to put God in a box and to say, this is what God would say about that, or this is how God feels about that, or this is what God tells me to do or to not do. Um, It makes the point, though, that when we do that, we make God too small and that God should be and is in his opinion, in my opinion, I think in other people's opinions too, that God is big enough to handle any of these things. God's big enough for us to bring any questions that we have. Uh, God's big enough to handle any amount of uh, wailing and lamenting and questioning. There's no limit to what God could uh, take on from what we have to offer, those questions that we have. So there's th- so from that perspective, there shouldn't be any fear. We shouldn't find any fear, although we've probably been acculturated to be afraid to ask them. But we don't need to fear. I don't think we need to be afraid to ask questions. Uh, but I think we've been taught to be afraid to ask questions. And we've been taught. Uh, certain ways of thinking about God and and certain ways where we've said, this is certainly the way it is. And so we don't even need to ask questions about that. But for me too, like you said, Mitch, also the other piece of it is that dot on the whiteboard, the example that I talked about in another episode where kind of my mentor, uh, who's also from Oklahoma, fun fact, um, (laughs) drew a dot on the whiteboard and said, this is what you know. And everything around it is what you don't know. And so every time you learn something, that dot gets a little bit bigger. And that's more that you know, but that means what you know is also touching more of the unknown. So it's going to just bring more and more questions to you. So it's going to bring more questions that you want to ask, but it's also going to bring you more knowledge of whatever information it is you're learning about. And certainly about God and certainly about the ways that we interact with creation our creator, all of those things. And so It's going to be better for our faith, better for us as spiritual beings, because we will know more. But that's also going to require us or encourage us or allow us to ask more questions, to go deeper, to learn more. And it is going to make that faith, I don't know if if you can make faith bigger, but it's going to make it broader. more understanding, but also more inquisitive and more curious. And that, to me, can't be a bad thing.
1: Absolutely. I always thought, You know, I think it would be very arrogant of me to draw the conclusion that I have figured out God, that there Mm -hmm. is everything there is to know about God and that I have figured it out. I have drawn all these conclusions and it's said and done and it's over with. I can never learn anything more about God. I think that's incredibly arrogant. I think it's really heretical because I'm an infinite or I'm an, uh, a a finite being that's trying to under mm-hmm. you know, understand an infinite, yeah. uh, de, you know, deity at the same time. I think God would be extremely disappointed if his creation did not search for a deeper relationship with God because To just say, I figured everything out and I don't need to grow or I don't need to discover, that's extremely disappointing. We don't do that in any Mm -hmm. other relationship. So I think it's vitally important to our faith to keep asking these questions, keep prodding, because as you said, God is not a small God. God is a big God and not afraid of our questions, believe it or not.
0: (laughs) Right. Absolutely. There's nothing... Nothing to be afraid of in asking questions. So if anybody listening is afraid to ask those questions, we're here to say, you can ask them. We're glad that you need to find other people in our lives, too, who can help us ask those questions and and seek the answers and and figure it
2: out together.
1: We appreciate you asking those questions on your podcast. uh, God knows where it uh, is. Fabulous. So well done, sir.
2: Well, Brett, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the work that you do. I very much enjoyed listening and learning from you. So as you know, our tagline at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So in light of our conversation today and the work that you do, what is your more to tell?
0: My more to tell. Well, first, thank you for having me and thanks for being here uh, and this opportunity. I'm grateful for you all and the work that you do at Good Faith Media. It's it's so great. Um, But my good uh, my more to tell i'll just leave you with the words that i left uh the congregation with that i end every episode of the podcast with they're not my words they're william sloan coffin's words and they are words that when i started to listen to them uh when i started to listen to myself say them they kind of helped me figure out that i needed to be making the changes in my life and different directions that i Uh, was going to make as well. So, without any further ado, here you go. May God give you the grace never to sell yourself short. May God give you the grace to risk something big for something good. And may God give you the grace to remember that the world is too dangerous for anything but truth and too small for anything but love. So may God take your mind and think through it, your eyes and see through them, and your hearts and set them on fire. Beautiful. That's
2: beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing.
0: Brett Harris, off
1: the beaten path. Go listen to his podcast, God knows where, wherever you listen to your podcast. It is fabulous. Make certain you subscribe and give him a high rating because that always helps. Brett, thank you so much for joining us at Good Faith Weekly.
2: Thank you, Brett. Thank you,
1: Missy. Thank you, Mitch. See, I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed that conversation. I mean, for all of my life, all a majority of my faith life, especially growing up in more conservative Baptist churches, I was never encouraged to ask the kind of questions that Brett is asking on this podcast.
2: Right, and what I enjoy, I, I've I've been able to listen to some. I haven't been able to binge them all again because of just my life the last few weeks has been a little bit, um, consumed, but I did listen to a few episodes. I'm so excited to listen to the rest. One thing that I do love about the way that, that Brett tackles questions that you and I have talked about that, you know, and, um, is that he's just his, the way he guides the listener Mm -hmm. through these things in such an intentional and a a kind and gentle and not at all like snarky or sarcastic. I mean, he's just, he's a real Christian. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'd like to be one someday. I'll get there. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Jury's still out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I really appreciated that. And just the things that he kind of um, helps you see in a different light. You yeah. know, the, the thing that I talked about in the interview that's still percolating in my mind is just that, um, you know, Jesus didn't come seeking acceptance, and that's such a bedrock of our upbringing is that personal have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal lord and savior. Yeah. And
1: if he was seeking acceptance, he would not have gotten crucified.
2: Well, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's very true. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that before cuz he probably could have played the game a little better, right? Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that uh, the conversation with Brett brought out to me was just how often we have interpreted truths of Scripture through a lens that is culturally conditioned. And what I mean by that is that many of us who grew up in churches, especially more conservative churches, were never given the tools to discover what the text said or what the text meant in its historical, cultural context, we were always told what the text said and how to apply it Mm -hmm. to our faith. And I'll never forget as an adult when that orthodoxy began to crack for me and I began the process of deconstructing. It was mind-blowing to me. And I remember really specifically When I went to seminary as a good little fundamentalist, and my Old Testament professor, Boo Heflin, talked about the equality of men and women and the ability for women to serve equally in the home and in church. I had never been taught that. I had always been taught what the scriptures that were taken out of context said about women's place in the home and in marriage and in the church.
2: You kind of regretting having that curtain pulled back, aren't you? (laughs)
1: Yeah, there's some days. <laughs> uh, but it, it just it put me on a path of deconstructing everything that was told to me in my more formative years. And it's really been enlightening. And a lot of people, a lot of, and, and it happened to me too, because this is an important uh, thing to hear, is that when you begin the process of deconstructing, it can mess with your mind, and it can mess with your faith. But if you continue to explore, if you continue to be curious and ask questions, what ends up happening is you begin to realize God is greater than you were ever told, and God is more mysterious than we can ever imagine, And that your faith actually ends up being stronger in the long haul because you realize God wants you to know more about God's divinity and God's relationship with his creation.
2: So I want you to talk about from your perspective, because I know, you know, Brett spends an episode on it, and I think it's his first episode, which is a great jumping off point to set the tone for his entire podcast, and I would encourage everybody to listen to it, but I want you to also talk about that because, again, it's it's such a um, kind of a mind-blowing concept for people who grew up like us. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, basically accepting Jesus as a personal Savior versus following Jesus. So you make the case for what Brett is saying, and I feel like what you agree with mm-hmm. is that that's not what he was after, that he didn't specifically say that. Tell us what he said. Tell us what, or what, you know, how you interpret scriptures and how you feel like Jesus wants us to not necessarily accept him, but relate to him.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time now, I have drawn the conclusion, and this is through studying uh, New Testament scriptures, studying the Gospels in particular, and nowhere do I glean the reality that Jesus wanted his followers to go and make converts. He gave an invitation to follow him, to be a disciple, to trust in his ways, to trust in the example that he was setting. And anytime you read Bible verses that talk about believe, and I think uh, actually Brett talks about this in the podcast, is that it's a Greek word that can mean saved, but it can also mean rescue and entrust. So John 3.16, for example, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, did you ever believe in Him? Well, because we translate that into English, believe... We have bought into a misguided understanding of what that means. It's a very Western concept, to believe. But the reality is, it's trusting. It's following.
2: Okay, well, I didn't tell you. Yes? But I have invited my inner fundamentalist to this conversation. Wonderful!
1: Well, <laughs> welcome, inner fundamentalist. For those it's fundamentalist Missy, everybody.
2: might recall... So when we talked to Brian McLaren about um his book, how do I or do I stay Christian and he introduced us to his inner fundamentalist and I was so excited because I also <laughs> have one and they are a match made in heaven. Um so I um invited her to this conversation today and with the help of Google, yes. we found 75 verses mm-hmm. in the Bible that speak specifically to a personal relationship and being saved. Okay. Which, you know, totally um enforces what we were taught, how we were brought up, and I'm gonna go through a few, and then I'm gonna have you give you an opportunity to respond. Okay. So John 14, six says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Oh, that's a good one. John three, sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him shall not perish and have everlasting life. Mark sixteen sixteen says, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. We all know what that means, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, Luke nineteen ten. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, I'm sorry, Cliff, can you put in a little bit of... Um, like Bible flipping sound effect there, because I feel like we need it. Like, you remember those sermons the preacher said, like, we're going to, we're going to have some Bible drill here. Like, did I just do that right? Is that the way we do it? Okay. So all of those verses that totally back up what I was taught and affirm um, my foundation of that personal relationship and having to accept Jesus to be saved. What do you say to that?
1: What do I say to that? I say, you got to start with the word saved. And what does that mean? Again, I think that we have been culturally conditioned to understand what that means or how to interpret that word. The word actually means, similar to believe, it means to be rescued or to be relieved and, and also to be saved. Well, when you think about the life and example of Jesus, think about what he did. Think about what he was about. He was about rescuing those who were marginalized. He was about setting free those who were captive by an oppressive system, whether it was religious, legal, or political. Jesus, when he talks about salvation, it means... Being saved here on earth, being rescued from the despair and the oppression and the marginalization and the systems and the powers that try to oppress us. Does that mean it does not have eternal consequences? No. But what it means is it begins right here, right now, with what is going on in the flesh and blood, uh, the flesh uh, on the earth. And so when I read these texts and Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, well, what does that really mean? When I read that now, I read it as if I really want to be a follower of Yahweh, which again, Jesus is a good Jew, he's not a Christian, then I must follow Jesus' example to be a follower of Yahweh.
2: But I really want to go to heaven and not hell.
1: <laughs> well, you got some work to do.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but really, I mean, that's what we're taught. It's all about that one crucial thing. And, and it, you know, what, what Brett talks about is, you know, following Jesus' lead and and, and he says, you know, when when we talk about a personal Savior, and that's one thing we're really good, especially in mm-hmm. our country, about making it about me, right, mm-hmm. then it becomes about me. And and we don't see examples in the Bible of Jesus making it about him. No, no. He doesn't. In fact, he makes it
1: about everybody else. He makes it
2: about everybody else. So if we are truly following him and his example, that's what we do. Mm-hmm. We make our life about caring for others. Right. And even dare I say, caring for our planet. Oh. Um, so, yeah, and, and he talks about, um, you know, also, if, if, if it's all about, you know, getting our ticket punched, which mm-hmm. we know, you know, then then it, you don't have to worry about anybody else. Right. You know, and that was just never, again, like we just said, it's never the point of, of, of his teachings that, you know, we are so, we like to be good accountants. We like to mm-hmm. to. You know, count and and add up, and that that was just not not Jesus' purpose, and not not what he did when he was here. That we are to lead a life uh, following his example, which compels our neighbors to do the same. It's not about accumulating. He was not about accumulating people. He was right. not about accumulating, um, you know, statistics and, and 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 a crowd. He was just. A, he was really about changing the way people thought about systems and making the world a better place.
1: Yeah, he was about empowering them, whether that was health, whether that was economically, whether that was religiously. He empowered people with hope and the opportunity to see and live in the world differently than what the powerful systems were demanding of them. hmm and to me, that is the greatest salvation of all, whether that is temporal or eternal. We don't have to accept this reality of this, the systems and the powerful and the wealthy. We don't have to accept that. And when Paul says, you know, sting wear, or death, where is thy sting? We don't even have to accept that because there is something that transcends this reality something that I can't explain. It's mysterious, as we talked about earlier. You know, the more questions I ask, the more mysterious God gets. And I like that.
2: I loved, that just brought to mind the analogy he said that one of his professors gave of drawing the black dot on the Mm -hmm. whiteboard. Like, this is your knowledge, and this is what you don't know. And as that black dot gets bigger, and you know more, you've got more of that dot butting up against more of that white. And then you realize how much more you don't know. And it just, I loved that illustration. I thought that was just so beautiful. Um, But I also love the idea of reframing what our concept of a quote unquote personal relationship is with Jesus. If I want to have that, it's not about a Roman road, you know, set of verses. It's not about necessarily saying this magical prayer and getting your ticket. It really is about following his example and learning from his teachings and, you know, emulating the life that he lived, going to the places that he went, you know, hanging out with the people that he hung out with. Mm-hmm. And are we really doing that? I mean, no, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, Yeah. you know, but unfortunately, no, I mean, doing it the way, you know, we grew up doing it. That's easy. Sure. You know, yeah. And,
1: uh, you know, that's an incredible point because, you know, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, what does he say?
2: Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. Please tell me I'm right. No, yeah, you're absolutely (laughs) right.
1: But Jesus doesn't separate those two. He connects them. Mm -hmm. To love God means love neighbor and to love neighbor means love God. Mm -hmm. And we do everything we can to disconnect those two. But Jesus never did. And so, you know, What it means to be saved to me is to love God and to love others in a way that is God like, that is Jesus like.
2: I think we also want to say, oh, we do love others. We want to just put a feeling on it. We don't want to put an action on it. Right. And that's where probably it becomes even more problematic is, you know, I can love my neighbors from afar, Mm -hmm. but have I fed them? Have I clothed them? have I put my arm around them when they're in need? Have I shown them acceptance when the world hasn't? Mm-hmm. That's loving your neighbor. And that's the part we all, I, I feel like that's, that's more difficult.
1: Yeah. Well, kind of West you know, says it best when he uh, coined the, the phrase uh, love is justice in the streets. Absolutely. And that's exactly, he's exactly right. That's exactly what it is. And so, that's why we fight for justice. That's why we embrace those, as Jesus did, who are being oppressed by these powerful systems to try to lift them up and to stand beside them uh, and fight these systems in order for there to be justice in the streets because that is love.
2: I agree. It's It's been an interesting um Time listening to you know the, the episodes I've been able to listen to of Brett's podcast. I I really am enjoying it. I enjoy these conversations with you. I enjoy reframing. I love reframing things that yeah. I always thought were true. As much as it's it's difficult, um, I enjoy that piece of kind of um, growing older, maybe a little wiser, maybe a little deconstructing on the side for good measure. <laughs> <laughs> no. But still, that inner fundamentalist.
1: She's always gonna put her hat on, put her gloves on,
2: in the pantyhose. <laughs> <laughs> the pantyhose. <laughs> Don't forget the pantyhose. The pantyhose. <laughs> She's always there. She's always there. I mean, you know what? But we all have to have, you know, a challenge. It it helps strengthen our our faith if we've got something to to butt it up against. So yeah,
1: as Paul said, everybody has their thorn and.
2: I'm yours.
1: (laughs) But you're such a cute thorn.
2: Sure.
1: (laughs) Well, it was great having Brett on the podcast. Uh, Take a listen to his podcast, uh, Brett Harris. God Knows Where, and uh, you can listen to it wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. We are taking next week off. Good Faith Media is having a board meeting in Birmingham, Alabama. And then after the board meeting, we get to follow the incredible Reverend Starlet Thomas as she leads a group of us through Birmingham and Montgomery for a civil rights experience.
2: Yes. So we will not be here to record. We will miss you next week, but we look forward to coming back the following week and sharing about our time there in Alabama. See you in a couple weeks.
1: You've been listening to Good Faith Weekly, hosted by Mitch and Missy Randall. This weekly podcast from Good Faith Media discusses matters of faith and culture.
2: Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and give us a like and a glowing review. We produce the podcast out of Norman, Oklahoma. Our music comes from Pond 5.
1: And we're supported by listeners like you. Learn more about us at goodfaithmedia.org.